Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. My final sermon in uh, Invincible, if you ever feel invisible. If you found your place, you would feel invincible. And if you find, uh, we're, we're so busy looking for a solution to our problems, that's not really what we need. We need the person that God has sent us. When you find your Nehemiah, you find a solution to your problems. It's an impartation from somebody that God has given to somebody for you. And when you find your Nehemiah, you find the solution to your problem. My sermon today is called 52 Days, and I'm not going to tell you why until the end. 52 days. I think in 52 days, God can do something that you've been trying to do your whole life in, in 52 days. There's not a little girl. We have uh, four. They're not so little anymore, but there's a time in every little girl's life when they look at mom and they say, normally right around bedtime, I wish that I could be mom. I'd stay up till midnight, eat ice cream, watch TV. I wish I could be mom. Every person working a nine-to-five has looked at the boss and said, I wish I could be the boss. I wish I could own my own business for the freedom and hours that it gives me. (laughs) And every small business owner looks back and says, I wish that my day started at nine, but it doesn't. It starts at six. And I wish that my day was over at five, but it's not. It's over at ten. And I wish that the job I had spent a month doing that I would actually have gotten paid for, but I didn't. And I wish that my entitled employees wouldn't feel so entitled all the time. Every little girl has at some point, and some point in your life, you have looked at somebody who feels like they're higher up the ladder than you are, and you've asked, you said to yourself, if only that could be me. And every mom has looked at, at their seven-year-old and said, if only I could be you. <laughs> if only I could go to bed at 8.30 and sleep all night and wake up in the morning where everything is rainbows and unicorns. And the only thing I have to worry about is what I'm going to eat for lunch and how many carrot sticks I got. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? There's this naivety that we have about leadership. And this whole series is about leadership. There's this naivety that we have that the higher you go up the ladder, the more perks there are. And that's why we want the promotion. That's why we want more authority. That's why we want the position. But there's this thing that you need to understand about leadership that if you are in a position of leadership, you already do understand that that it's not about the perks. It's about the pain. It's not about the position and the perks. It's about the pain. I'm going to be preaching today about leadership pain. Leadership is all about the pain. Every person in any area of responsibility understands that there are perks to being in leadership. There are perks to being the boss or the supervisor or the mom or the dad. There are perks. But listen, the perks never on any given day normally outweigh the pain. You you don't. Wait till somebody puts you in charge of something you will find that the extra money is a little bit extra money, but it's not worth the pain. There's this thing called responsibility. But see, when we talk about leadership today, take this thought home. When we talk about leadership today, you can put this up. Is this a thing that we can put up? This is not a thing. There we go. When we talk about leadership today, what we really mean is celebrity. 
You don't want to just be the coach of your kid's hockey team. You want to be the celebrity coach. You just want somebody else to talk to the crazy hockey moms. The crazy hockey mom who's got the worst kid on the team with the worst attitude and the laziest kid on the team who wants him to play all the time because they think that they're the best. When we talk about leadership today, what we really mean is celebrity. Nobody in their right minds wants to be a leader. Nobody in their right minds wants to be a leader. My daughter, Neela, my last girl, looks at Arwen and thinks to herself, just one day in the life of Arwen. You get to wake up in the morning. Neela, who sometimes remembers to put her backpack away. Neela, who wakes up and, and her life is a beautiful thing. And Arwen looks at Neela and she said this to her like, oh, sweetheart, you don't even know. You don't even know why, because Arwen is also Neela's mom. We have four kids, and the oldest ones raise the younger ones, and she's like, oh, sweetie, you don't even know. Oh, you just, oh. So it's like, Neela gets up in the day, and if she forgets to do something, it's not a big deal, because somebody will do it for her. And she just smiles, and just everything goes away. And Neela wishes she could be Arwen, and Arwen wishes she could be Neela, and it's like that. You wish you could climb the ladder because that's what you see is the perks of leadership, but what you don't see is the leadership pain until you get there. There's nothing quite as frustrating if you are in a position of leadership, if you have children, if you are a coach, if you're a supervisor, if you have people that you have influence in the life of. That's what leadership really is. There's nothing quite as frustrating, I think, for somebody in a position with influence in the lives of people as when you have something that could help them. We got any parents of teenagers? You have something, you know something that could help them if they would just say yes and listen. There's two parts to a societal shift. No shift in society for the good has ever happened without these two things happening. A leader gets a burden and says yes to it. And a people say yes to the leader. And then society changes. There's no like grassroots, if I can just be honest, there's no grassroots day when every one of us wakes up in the morning and are like, let us all do what is right in the sight of God together. Because we all want to. Oh, democracy. It's the worst form of government except for all of the others. <laughs> and we come into this kingdom of God with this mentality about leadership. It's this idea, but no, no, no. When a leader says yes and gets upset with the wrong in society and a people get upset with the leader and follow that vision that God has planted, that's when society shifts and changes and corrupt governments go away and something comes in that shelters the innocent and protects those. I'm getting all fired up here. But see... Until, until the leader says yes, nothing changes. And here's what I'm preaching today, until the people say yes. If your people would just say yes, then something could change. If the people would say yes. What, what, what causes people that you have influence in their lives, what causes them to say yes? Have you ever thought about that? In the grand order of things, what causes Neela to say yes? I feel like my uh, iPad is absolutely frozen here. It's going to be a good sermon. That's what that means. We'll try to get this going here. I have a backup, but there we go. 
my brother and I, in the natural order of things, the older siblings are in charge at home. So when somebody leaves, uh, a, you know, my brother and I, it was just the two boys. When, when mom and dad would leave uh, Ryan and Corey at home, Corey was in charge because I was over two years older than my brother. And I was a pretty, uh, I was a pretty good big brother, I think, decently responsible. Most, uh, most older siblings are. <laughs> the younger kids, you know, all the problems. But I realized, you know what, in, in our relationship, there was never really all that much struggle. And I've been asking myself that this week. Why, what is it in my relationship with my brother where, where he said, yes, it was okay to lead him? Because until that happens, you don't really have the right to lead until they say yes to you. You might have the position, but you might not have the influence. You hear me? You might have the position, but that's only the first step of leadership. You might not have the influence yet to lead. And I, I realized, you know what? My brother said yes to me, and there wasn't a whole lot of struggle. There was a little bit when I you know, would try to be dad a little bit. I felt like dad wasn't strict enough with Ryan. So I tried to help. I did what I could. And then dad came home and did what he could. I got thinking about that. What, what was it in our relationship? And I remembered a time that we had a paper route. We, we used to go out every day in the wintertime for this paper route for a dollar a day. Oh, you kids, you don't even know. Grade six, I think I got this paper route. My brother would have probably been in grade four. I think it was right around that time anyways. And we got a paper route, and every morning we'd go out for 45 minutes or an hour, we'd deliver papers. Now, this is how Dad shook it out. Corey did two-thirds of the work, and Ryan did one-third of the work because he was smaller, and we both got paid the same. Here, that's fair. <laughs> oh, you want to be a leader because of the money? Oh no, no, no. I realized, you know, my brother never had any problem because um, when you leave kids in charge, you leave the oldest one in charge. Generally, it's like, okay, so do what they say. You know, Neela would love to be our one because then she would get to tell Ailish what to do. That's Neela's dream. Like, I just want to tell Ailish what to do. That would be amazing. <laughs> But there's a reason that Arwen gets to tell Aish what to do because she's the oldest one and she's responsible. And I realized, what was it that Ryan gave me permission to do in his life? What would it take to unlock the people that you have influence in their lives? What would it take for, the, for you to unlock that so that they say yes to you so you could actually help them? And I realized one morning it was so cold. Uh, I got up early. It was about six. We normally got up that time. And I got up and uh, my dad got up and he's like, Corey, it's cold outside. I'm like, how, how cold? And he's like... It was probably minus 40, I think, that day. Now, this is before wind chill. We didn't know that there was an extra cold that it could be. So you actually had to look at a thermostat screwed to the outside of your house and just be like, oh, it was cold outside. It was cold. And Dad says, you know, Ryan can't be out in this. Hey, he's too little. Weak little body. Weak little mind. No, but I'm like, you know what? You're right. It's just too cold for him. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt. And so I... Um, so dad says, tell you what, <laughs> tell you what, he said, I'll do your part of the paper out if you do his. And I said, yes. I still remember that day, the last house on, on the block that I was on with Ryan, I still had a block to get home. And I remember walking up um, as probably a 13-year-old, maybe walking up the steps and it was cold. And I had to make a decision that not a lot of 13-year-old kids had to make. Now, as I was walking up the steps, I knew that I was getting frostbite on my face and I had to make a decision whether I was going to risk my face getting frostbite or um, have my hands get frostbite. And I made the decision that day to take my gloves off just for a second just to try to get my face warmer so that I can make it home quick. But by the time I got home, my hands, I could feel that something wasn't quite right. And when I went to sleep that night, as a 13-year-old, I think I was, my hands were bleeding on the backs 
uh, both of them were bleeding on the backs. I had suffered uh, decently severe frostbite. And I realized as I was out preparing for this sermon this week and walking in the nice warm weather, I realized my hands are still cold. What was it that, that Ryan saw in, in me that allowed, that he gave permission for me to lead him? Well, there's things like that morning that I picked up a burden for him. It was his job to do that, and I did it for him, because he couldn't. It was his burden to carry, but he was too little to carry it, and I carried it for him. And decades later, my hands, I still bear the scar of that one morning, and I realized that's it. See, everybody wants to be a leader because we think it's celebrity and we think of all the perks, but what we miss is the pain. And here's what I would suggest to you today, that you would have more influence where God wants you to have more influence. You would have more connection if you would help the people you have influence over the lives of, if you would help them carry their burden. Because that's what leadership actually is. You lack a connection with your teenager. You lack a connection with your employee. I can tell you where that connection is missing. Now, some people will never follow, no matter how good you are, and they wouldn't follow Jesus if he was here. But most people, here's, here's what I heard. Here's what I heard in, in business. Everything is all productivity, productivity, productivity. Do you know what gets you good productivity? Good connectivity. And do you know what gives you good connectivity? Is bearing the burden of the people you're supervising. I realized, you know, I worked for, for, for one person who was a great guy, but he wasn't that great of a leader. For over a decade, I worked for him. I cannot remember him ever asking me, hey, how, how are you guys doing? How's your, fam- how's your marriage? You guys doing okay? And I, I realized, oh. Yet I heard the same person in a meeting, I think Gibson was in on this meeting, my buddy, threatened to ax everybody if our productivity didn't go up. That's awesome to hear during a first aid meeting. <laughs> Turn to ax everybody. We're going to have to ax a bunch of guys. And I'm thinking, do you know why my crews had great productivity? Because we had great connectivity, because I actually asked them how their families were doing occasionally. You're driving in the car, you've got nothing to do for an hour. What do you talk about? When was the last time you helped somebody else bear their burden? Because I know that your life is hard, but so is theirs. But if you want to be a leader, you have to bear your burden, and you have to bear their burden. So we lack connection with our kids. When was the last time you woke up in the morning, you just asked your kid, what do you got coming up today? Oh, everybody's nodding and smiling. Chill, they're teenagers. (laughs) Then what? What kind of pressure are you under? And you're thinking to yourself, well, what kind of pressure are they under? It's not really all that much, but it feels like a lot to them. It is a lot to them. It was a lot for you. You'd have killed for your parents to ask you those types of questions. I realize that's it. If you help somebody bear their burden and take a little time to bear their burden, your connectivity goes up, but then you say it's not fair. Welcome to leadership. Nothing is fair. Leadership is about bearing a yoke. And I can tell when somebody needs to develop as a leader. First of all, I can tell that somebody needs to develop as a leader. If they turn around and there's nobody behind them, they might not be a leader. (laughs) Everybody wants to be a leader. Well, look around behind you. If nobody's following you, you might not be a leader. The second part of that is if nobody's following you and you're in a leadership position, you might not be a leader worth following yet. 
They might have to do what you say because you're in charge, but they might not be following you the way that they could because you might not be a leader worth following yet. What's fair? I want to read to you in Nehemiah, and you are going to see how fair his life was and why his people said yes to an impossible mission that happened in a period of 52 days. The only way that this mission happened and the only way that you're going to bring that budget in under budget and the only way your, your family is going to make it to the finish line together is if we, as people of influence, start bearing the burdens of our people. Now, there's this whole other thing that I, don't, I know you're also not ready for leadership if you won't help your leader bear their burden. Because that's a whole other thing, too, because you look up the ladder and you're like, help me out, man. And they look down the ladder and like, yeah, I got your problems and their problems and, and I got my own problems. You want to help me with my problems? There's this idea where we mutually submit and help each other carry the load. It's like this yoke. Leadership is not riding a chariot where you get to whip the horses in front of you and everybody shouts your praises as you go by. Corey, he is amazing. He is amazing. Faster. He is amazing. No, no, no. It's like a whole bunch of oxen plowing in a field and you're just the one in front with the same yoke that everybody else has. And when somebody else taps out, you pull their load for them. Somebody else is like, oh, my hamstring, I feel a little tired today. And you're just like, tired? You stay up all night playing video games. Of course you're tired. They're just like, I can't make it into work today. I'm so sorry. I'm so tired. I'm exhausted. I'm mentally exhausted because this job is hard for me emotionally. It's hard on my emotions. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall, Nehemiah says. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews sing in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers. What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? You want to be a leader? Oh, don't be overly sensitive. Do you think they can build the wall, Sanballat says, in a single day? <laughs> in a single day, but keep that in mind. Because that's what we want, isn't it? You want salvation in a single day. You want a better relationship with your son in a single day. You want everything to happen in a single day. In a single day. He's offering a few sacrifices, he goes on to say. Do they think they, actually, they think that they can make something of the stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? There is this thing, this added pressure that comes on anybody in a position of leadership that is almost a negativity that you have to understand. It is in itself is not fair. It is a yoke that weighs more even when nothing is happening. It's this thing. Do you remember when you, moms, do you remember when you had that child and the, the sense of responsibility that came on you? It is like that in any position of leadership. And the higher you go, the more you wake up in the morning and you're just like, oh, the more coffee you need. Because the weight of the thing is on you. See, an employee um, makes a mistake. An employee makes a mistake, and then you lay awake at night for one hour because you're afraid that you're going to lose your job. And the same mistake that you made, the boss lays awake all night because everybody might lose their job. And I might lose my house. There's this escalation of pressure that happens. And uh, sometimes, as particularly spiritual leadership, if you want to spiritually lead your family, there's this discouragement that comes from, from evil that actually, it's got this negative energy about it that always comes against you when, when things, God is trying to do something. There's this other thing that's trying to come in and take over it. Then it says, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. <laughs> there's always a know-it-all out there who... I mean, the stone wall will collapse if a fox 
A chain link fence won't collapse if a fox walks on. You think that being a leader is fair in verse, uh, chapter 6. It says, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies. Now watch how unfair this is for Nehemiah. You want to be a leader? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And the rest of our enemies found out that I had, Nehemiah says, finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Oh, no. No, no, no. This is a trick. Something's telling me. Hey, you want to go hike Murder Mountain? No, I don't want to hike Murder Mountain. <laughs> let's go, you know, let's go camp at Cannibal Lake. No, don't go to Cannibal Lake. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> Watch the venom that the leader has to deal with. Don't. Listen, just hear my heart in this. Don't long to, to take something upon yourself that God didn't gift you for. If there's no gift and no grace on your life, don't desire the position just because of the perks that you think it has. The pain always outweighs the perks. What perks is there in this for Nehemiah? He could have stayed where he was and done much better in the king's court, and here he is dealing with these guys. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. He says, in the plain of Ono. So I responded by sending this message to him. Now, this is a place that every leader has to come to. This is the place that if you get to this place and get past this, you might become a leader worth following. He says, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? If you're a people pleaser, you're unfit to lead. If he would take time off of the wall to go and meet with these guys at this time, he knows it will incur their wrath and hatred. If he says yes to them, he says no to the people depending on him. If you say yes to some commitments, you'll say no to your own kids at home. Can I be honest? If you won't make the house of God a priority and say no to somebody else, you might end up saying no to the very responsibilities that you have in your own family first. And your own responsibilities to the Lord your God. I'm engaged in great work. I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message. Man, I'd have given up on time number two. I'd have been like, okay, fine. Just stop talking about this. Each time I gave them the same reply. The fifth time, get this, it just keeps escalating and escalating. When a leader's life is just more and more and more and more, and it's just like, I don't even know what to do anymore. Sanballat's servant came with an open Facebook post um, in his hand, and this is what it said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love rumors. I love rumors. There is a, there is a rumor. It's not coming from me. It's not coming from me. It's not, it's not me. It's not me. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations, and, and Geshem tells me it's true. And Geshem said that it was true. And I'm not the only one who thinks that. When I hear, and I'm not the only one who thinks that, do you know what I immediately think? You're the only one who thinks that. And when I hear, a, and everybody agrees with me, and everybody thinks that this is true, do you know what I think next? No, your husband does because you made him. Because you don't want to sleep on the couch. So, yeah, he got to agree with you. So there's two of you. So 80% of the time that I hear like, and everybody thinks this, I think, no, just your husband. Just, no, just your wife, just your kids, because they have to, because they want to eat. 
And like 15% of the time that, that everybody thinks so and everybody agrees with me, I think to myself, no, just your best friend and your spouse, that's it. So three people, including you, is a mass of everyone thinks. And 5% of the time, it's four people, and that's about it. It's, it's never been more than four people that I can recall when I hear that. There's a rumor, and Geshem also says that it's true. Oh, you thought that was sort of funny. Unless you said that to your spouse last night. Everybody thinks so in this house. Oh, really? How many everybody's? Point. Well, I guess me. The Jew and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are build, building the wall. This is a serious accusation. Listen, according to his reports, you plan to be their king. What? He also reports that you have appointed prophets, listen, in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and defend yourself to me. Do you know whose job it is to defend the leader? The people who are following the leader. If God gives you a position of authority, you don't have to tell everybody that you're in charge. They'll know if you're a good leader. But the minute that you step out to defend your own place, when somebody else puts you there, now there are times you have to defend some things, but these guys are coming against him with these lies. The minute that you do that, you actually hand them your authority. If my boss gives me a job to do, he's the only one who can ungive me that job to do, that position. But the moment that I start defending myself, and this is what we do in Canada, we think that it's our job to defend ourselves. So we spend all day on defense, defense, defense. And Nehemiah's like, I'm too busy for defense. We've got to build this wall or my people are going to die and get attacked. And so you know whose job it is? The followers of the vision to defend the vision and to defend the person who's holding the vision. And when you bear the burden... Bear the burden. And he, he's like, I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us. Has the devil ever tried to intimidate you when you were starting to make a move in your marriage towards something that was good? Has the devil ever tried to intimidate you when you started getting a hold on the Wi-Fi password at home to safeguard your children? Intimidation. I'm going to go live with so-and-so's parents because they trust me. <laughs> and nobody trusts you. You're a teenager. <laughs> I heard this. Uh, we have a small group that have a bunch of teenagers. And I'm like, hey, we're going to do a small group on teenagers. And so they, they, they let me come to their, their group. I just, want, I just want to hear what it's like having teenagers. I have teenagers. I kind of know a little bit. But I just want you to tell me what your experience is. And they were so humble, this group. I just absolutely love that. But I'm like, this whole idea of like, Trusting my teenagers with Wi-Fi access. Like, I don't trust myself with it. I don't owe you trust. I owe protection. I owe wisdom. Trust. What does that even mean, trust? Earn that. <laughs> like, that's how the world works. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Later, I went to visit Shemaiah and the grandson of whatever, who was confined to his home. He said, you can't say it either. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God. Listen to this. And bolt the door shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. And I'll explain the context of this. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Oh, I love that. In another translation, should a man like me flee? He goes, 
Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? And he says, no, I won't do it. Now, they were trying to get him to sin. And my text ends there, uh, just about ends there. They were trying to get him to sin because here's the thing. He had governmental authority, but he had no priestly authority. So he himself was not allowed in the temple. That was the role that God had decided the priest should do. And just because you're, you serve as a, a supervisor here does not mean that you come into this other place and have the same sort of authority. No, no, it's, it's the place that you're in. And, and these are things that are decided for you, not something that you reach up and take and you walk in and now you're, no, 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 you're not a supervisor everywhere that you go. I'm not a supervisor when I go to the bank. Everybody there is in charge and I'm not. And so when, when we understand this and, and, and what, happens, what happens here is, is that he knew the difference between the priesthood and the government. He knew the difference. That was huge. I'm just going to leave that with somebody. Now, here's what I want to get at in all of this. Sanballat and Geshub and all of these guys who came against him and all the people that come against your leadership, did, did you know that this was one massive headache for Nehemiah and his life that he didn't deserve any part of? What had happened is that when Israel was suffering, they had made allies of these people. They had intermarried with these people. I love Nehemiah. I said last week that he pulled the beards out of people. He got so upset about something. Well, the reason that I told you that he got upset, I, I mixed up with a different story. You can read that for yourself, but just to bring some correction there, that sometimes I get Zechariah and Zephaniah mixed up when I'm preaching. But... Nehemiah is there and he's trying to help the people and then all these enemies come against him and, and their venom and their vitriol and they're trying to hurt him and bring him down. And then I realized that these people that he's fighting with, he never made allegiances with. He didn't intermarry with them. He made no mistakes in all of this. Listen, if you have influence in your family, look. Yeah, you think to yourself, yeah, but my teenagers have bad friends and they're into this and it's their fault. True. Would you help them bear their burden anyways? Would you help them lift that load and get better friends anyways? Would you help that person who comes to work broken because of their marriage, which is not your fault, and help them anyways? He went after these allies because his people had made allies with them. He didn't deserve any of this, and yet he still went after them to free them from these commitments that they had made to ungodly people. And I realized that, that if we would pick up the burden of our people, they would give us the permission to lead them. I told my daughters one time, I said, look, if you're ever at a sleepover or you're with your boyfriend 100 years from now when you're allowed to date, I said, look, if, if anybody asks you to do something that is compromising to God, people say it like this, if anybody asks you to do something you're uncomfortable with, I'm like, no, if you're comfortable with something bad, I don't care. If anybody asks you to do something wrong, tell them this, and it's not a lie, and I'll tell you why. I said, tell them this. Look at your phone and say, my stupid dad wants me to go home right now. <laughs> that will always be true. Both of those things. Stupid. And I want you to come home if you're being forced to do something sinful. Absolutely. You come home. And you tell me, you sit there and you rag on me in front of your friends all you like. I don't, you can call me stupid. You might, daddy's, but get your butt home. And we'll go eat ice cream. And then I'll go and murder some people, and then we'll go back to eating ice cream. <laughs> you know what? That's the burden I can help them bear. Yeah. 
Make me look like the bad guy. I don't care, but come home and don't wreck the rest of your life for a moment of stupidity, for a moment of ally to the wrong thing. You come home. I told my two years ago, Ailish, I should have asked your permission wherever you are. I'm just like, Ailish. I talked to Arwen because Arwen's my Ailish spy. And I'm like, how's Ailish doing? How are her friends? You want a better connection with your teenager? Pour out more energy. How, how are Ailish's friends? And Arwen's like, I like a couple of them, but I don't like the other couple or something like that. And I'm like, we can do something about this. She needed an upgrade. I'm like, okay, what do we do? And we came up with a plan. We're going to invite these other friends over. And they're like, now she's hanging out with the Lockhart girls and they're terrible. No, they're awesome. But hey, but listen, you got to free up space in the hard drive before you get an upgrade. And these are the things, the energy that it brings to come in and to start like energizing and like get, start bearing their burden and to wake up in the morning like, how are you doing? What do you got coming up today? A test? Oh my goodness. What movies are coming out that are awesome? I mean, start getting engaged in the lives of the people who, whose lives you could have influence in. There's something here that it says in the final scripture, verse 15. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished. Nehemiah says, just 52 days after we had begun. 52 days to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem with this ragtag bunch of people? When our enemies in the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. 52 days, 52 days. Listen, listen, listen to me. If you say yes to your Nehemiah, and if a Nehemiah says yes to his people, if you say yes, you're not going to see a change today. I mean, you've been struggling with this thing for decades. And you're not going to see a change tomorrow. And maybe even in a month, you, you won't see the change that you're looking for. But I wonder in 52 days. That number was just in my head all 52 days. What could God do in 52 days? I think the courses of nations are changed. I think that, that walls are built around human hearts where they've been given over to, to all sorts of addiction and pain. And I think in 52 days that a wall can be built around a human heart. And I think in 52 days a marriage can be restored. And I think in 52 days teenagers could come back to God. And I think in 52 days your friendships with the people God wants you to be friends with could be restored. And I think in 52 days you could get baptized. And I think in 52 days something can happen in 52 days if we just came and we just bent the knee to God and said, okay, God, where's my Nehemiah? And in 52 days, 52 days. Father, I pray for every person here that we would say yes today. I pray that we would go home and mark on our calendar and just book the next 52 days and say, okay, God, who's my Nehemiah? Who am I taking out for coffee? Who am I calling? Who am I giving access to my life and to my family and to my marriage and to my thought life and to what I watch and to what I'm doing and to how I spend my money. God, I'm going to give access to this person for 52 days. I'm going to apply this sermon for 52 days. I'm going to, 52 days, I'm booked for 52 days. I'm not going to go about my life as in 52 days. Father, I pray that you would work a miracle in every life. I pray that we as a people would come together and say yes to the vision that God has given our Nehemiahs in the name of Jesus, that we would come together and help bear each other's burdens. Amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.